Hello, Marvelites, and hello, Sirius XM. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, we did it. We did it. We're here. We did it. We We made it. (laughs) Somehow they let us through the door and Marvel's pull list is on Sirius XM as well as everywhere else podcasts can be listened to. It's very exciting for our new listeners. Welcome. This show is all about Marvel Comics. Every week we tell you about every single brand new Marvel comic that is on sale. We tell you what we're excited about. We give you some picks, some favorites. We have some fun. We try to keep it relatively spoiler free, but really the whole point is Tucker and I love talking about comics and we want you to go read all the Marvel comics. And so we're going to be here to give you reasons to read those Marvel comics. On top of that, every episode we do a fun reading club with someone really cool, whether they're a Marvel comics creator or they're someone who just loves Marvel. We have great guests lined up. And this week we have Vita Ayala. Vita is going to be writing some really cool X books. It's done some great work for us. And we're going to be talking about some Punisher books later on in the episode. But we have a suite of books to get to. Tucker, you ready? I am ready. Now, here's what we're going to do. Ryan, you and I each have a couple of our picks of the week. That is a longstanding Marvel's Polish tradition where we talk about the books that just tingled our spines maybe the most this week. Those are our official triple Ds, our ding dang delights. Ooh. You know it. And uh, and then we're going to run through and we're going to uh, drop off some high school yearbook style superlatives for uh, the rest of the books this week because we have so much love for everything going on. OK, I'm starting off with Amazing Spider-Man 53.LR. It's written by Nick Spencer and Matthew Rosenberg with art by Federico Vicentini and Takeshi Miyazawa with inks by Federico and Takeshi with Scott Hanna and colors by Marcio Meniz and Eric Arseniega and letters by VCs Ariana Mar. And it is my first pick of the week. I think with these LR issues that Matt has jumped on board to help out with some of the writing on, they've been so much fun. This issue, I think in particular, though, you can feel how much Matt is refusing to hold back. You know, I think as one of our great writers at Marvel Comics, as someone who is a comic book obsessive, you know, it it is a rare opportunity to jump on board Amazing Spider-Man and you just feel Matt taking full advantage of that opportunity. Um, Not least because right from page one, we have Moreland involved Uh, And how much fun is that? I feel like right when I thought that this Last Remains arc, this Sin Eater arc couldn't become more dramatic, couldn't become more kind of intertwined into the wondrous web of Spidey, we get a character like Moreland, obviously, of Spider-Verse, of so much Spider-Man history involved here. Mix that into a blender with Sin Eater as well, which is so wild and so unique. It just is a, a relentless book. And that's why I really loved it. You can feel the love. You can feel the passion inside these pages. It's great. Yeah. All right. My first pick of the week is Falcon and Winter Soldier number five. I freaking love this limited series. And the finale really just landed so hard for me. It's written by Derek Landy, pencils by Federico Vincentini, colors by Matt Mila, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, This one is, um, it's awesome. You've got Falcon and Winter Soldier, like their names are right in the title. And they are fighting a young strapping young lad uh, by the name of the natural who is just such a good fighter and so Mm -hmm. creepy at the same time he loves captain america at least in some ways but he just also loves and is very good at killing and so the you've got our two heroes who are just trying to like stop him but also like get him to see the light like Captain America would not do what you're doing. Please stop this. Uh, you've got Hydra in the mix. So Baron Zemo's in there. Uh, you've got a new, like a battle for who will be the next Hydra Supreme. But what I, I think is really great is like, this is the funniest action book of the week to me. It's It's got a lot of humor amidst all the like philosophical discussions. Like there's this one panel, maybe my favorite panel of the week, 
is Falcon and Winter Soldier fighting the natural, this kid. And Falcon says, that's the trick. That's the secret. It's not about how well you fight. And Winter Soldier says, it's about what you're fighting for. And I think that gets to the core of who Bucky and Sam are. And if you are fans of these characters from the MCU or anywhere else, this is just going to be such a great book. It's it's terrific. Totally agreed. All righty. Now, my second pick of the week is X-Men number 15, which is chapter 20 of the unbelievable Ten of Swords crossover. Uh, we are this week wrapping it up, and this is the anti-penultimate chapter. It's written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Mahmoud Asrar, colors by Sunny Go, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. It's the apocalypse show, folks. That's all I got to say. Look, there's incredible stuff going on in here with the council, with Krakoa, with the, all the major players in the X-Men, um, with, you know, notably including some of the five. Uh, and I, I already love to see Jonathan starting to shake the ground of how this is going to affect the X-Men after Ten of Swords. Um, how once, you know, at this point, who knows how it'll end, but once it does, what these characters are going to take out of this and laying the seats for that is really incredible because boy, oh boy, has this crossover delivered. But then as we get into the second half of this issue, it is all about the man, well, the mutant, and Saba Noor, the legend, and his relationship with his wife, with Genesis. There is this triumvirate forming as we go into the final chapters of this story between Annihilation, Apocalypse, and Genesis, and Genesis and Apocalypse's relationship, um, the corrupting force of Annihilation. And it's one of those things that is just absolutely, you know, pulls at your heartstrings, you know, makes you shake your head in disbelief at how this creative team, how every one of these X-Men creators across the entire crossover has gotten us to this point where with one of the most famously antagonistic characters in X-Men history, you are there right alongside him. It's just incredible. So, so good. We we scream and cry about X-Men every single week, especially right now. And, uh, you know, it's never been better than this uh, as, as far as uh, Ten of Swords goes. It's really, really great stuff. Yeah. And look, we have three Ten of Swords issues this week. So my second pick will be the final chapter. Mm. But of course, there's Excalibur number 15. We can't uh, go on without mentioning that it is the penultimate issue of the entire 22 part series. Man, I love it. If anybody who is just joining us and doesn't know what Ten of Swords is, this big, big, epic X-Men story that has all kinds of weird moments and fun moments. But what I really dug about Excalibur was like the relationship stuff that we get in here. You've got Jubilee and her son Shogo, which for me as a dad of an adopted child, it's like, it's amazing. It's just the, their relationship is so pure and real because that's what, uh, what it's like mm-hmm. to have a child. doesn't matter you know, the method that it's happened doesn't matter that your child is a dragon, which Shogo <laughs> is in this storyline. And it's great. Uh, and then there's this great stuff with Cypher and Bay, the blood moon and all kinds of great stuff. So definitely check that out. But then you got to get into my second pick of the week, which is 10 of swords destruction. Number one, this is sort of the, we've had three tentpole issues for Ten of Swords. And this is the final one. This is part 22 of the whole thing. It's written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard. It's art by Pepe Larraz. And we've got colors by Marte Gracia and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Tucker, you talked about the 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 sort of like yearbook type quotes and the, the things, you know, our superlatives. We like to call them the pulleys here on Marvel's pull list. <laughs> and I've got so many for this one. Um, it's got <laughs> it's pulley for one of my favorite issues of the year. It's got the pulley mm-hmm. for my best use of the power of love this week, which I, I think is constantly going to be one of my pulleys I give out because I love love <laughs> and the way it's used to tell stories in Marvel Comics. It's got my pulley for best holy moly battle of the week. It's got my pulley for the best entrance into a story this week as we see um, a giant ship that made a mark at the beginning of the story really comes around here. Pulley for MVP of this series, maybe, is Pepe Larraz, who's shown up as the artist on our tentpole issues. Like, yeah. what an incredible artist. Just showing off. It's, it's sort of like this mega superstar turn 
for Pepe, um, mm-hmm. who's already had some before. One of my superlatives, yeah. one of my pulleys was just the F word. Yeah. And I was just like, <laughs> like if I could give out that award, that would be an award I would give this issue. It's so good. I don't want to spoil a dang thing, but I will say that if you've seen Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame and that feeling of the final climactic battle, that's here. That That is, they, they've done it in a way on the comic book page that feels bigger, but just as like triumphant and upsetting and sad and exciting and like heart pounding. Everything you love about that final battle is in this issue, but with X-Men and weird creatures. And it is really, really like this is this is everything I could have hoped for for Ten of Swords and for this big X-Men story. I totally agree. Do not know how they fit all that into a comic book issue, but you're so right. It's all there. All right. That's what we have for our picks of the week. Now we are going into the superlatives of the week. Our pulleys, we're handing them out. The pulleys. Uh, I am over here buffing the pulleys. But you know uh, what? I don't know if that's safe for, for Series X7. I know they have some R-rated <laughs> stuff. Tucker, tone it down a little bit. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but uh, uh, the first one we will be handing one out to is Conan the Barbarian, number 16. What a fun run this book has been. And in this issue, I am going to give the pulley for best hunk of meat of the week. Now, that's a has double meaning. Because one, uh, I think it means obviously Conan himself. What else can you say? There's a great villain in here. It's and that final showdown is awesome. But also there is a moment where he is literally eating a big hunk of meat, like a big turkey leg. And I always love that. Uh, That was wonderful punnage right there. Uh, All right. (laughs) Up next, we have Daredevil number 24. And this one, man, there's so many possible pulleys to give out here. Uh, Best belly of the week might go to Kingpin, but I am going to give this book the pulley for best nail biter of the week. Chip Zdarsky and Mike Hawthorne and company really like get into the courtroom drama and the last minute. Oh, 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 what's going to happen? Like heart pounding. Yeah. Again, drama. There's really good drama here and it's definitely a nail biter. Oh, yeah. All right. Next up, I have Dr. Doom number nine, one of my favorite ongoing titles. Just love everything going on in here. Uh, And the pulley for this one, ah, it's tough. I think maybe pulley for best. I want to say like angry scream of the week. There's a big panel in here where someone is kind of like throwing their fists down in anger and anguish. And it's just so it's so pitch perfect. It's so awesome. There's also maybe a candidate for like best conversation of the week in here, although that one has a lot of competition. But there's a really great uh, Reed Richards jumps on a Zoom call in this uh, issue. And it is really, really excellent. Uh, Tucker, have you seen the movie Popstar? Uh, Never Stop, Never Stopping? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I would give a pulley to uh, this Doctor Doom issue for the most humblest would be Doctor Doom in this <laughs> issue. And if, if if you know that song and you know the movie, it, it'll ring so true when you're reading this yeah. issue. It's great. <laughs> Uh, All right. We've got Fantastic Four Antithesis number four this week. Uh, And this one, you know, I I read this before I read the Ten of Swords issues, and this was going to get my pulley of the week for the best use of the power of love. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give it the honorary second or like tie for best use of the power of love because basically Reed Richards has turned into Galactus and they have to find a way to, to get to him. And what do they use? The power of love. Wow. So excellent. Uh, all right. Next up, we have Maestro number four. I I think maybe best like fight moment of the week. Uh, there is a page here as part of this big throwdown that we got going on here, which is six panels vertically aligned. And it is uh, it's funny because this one definitely stood out to me. And then, Ryan, I saw your notes where you said best Hulk and Loki movie reference because this one stood out to me as well. It's so fun. I think it's so perfect for this book. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Marvel number two is out this week. This is a series that I absolutely adore. It's basically um, legendary artist Alex Ross 
like picking artists to tell just any kind of Marvel story that they want. And so we've got the second part of Alex's Doctor Strange story in here. Uh, but then we've got stories by some amazing artists. So my pulley of the week for this one, I've got three of them because I realized this could have been one of my picks of the week. I'm going to give it an honorary pick of the week. Uh, it's got best wow. Sesame Street references that are said by freaking Wolverine <laughs> of all people. I watch a lot of Sesame Street right now with a 13-month-old child. Um, and then the best Godfather reference in here for the title of the, the fourth story in this. The title being Leave the Demon, Take the Cannoli, which, come on, come on. <laughs> and then another pulley I'm going to give it best assortment of artists because holy cannoli alex ross dan brereton paulo rivera and eric powell get out of here come on magic incredible such a huge fan i totally agree okay next up we have power pack number one. Oh man was i excited for this one this feels like a big statement but it feels like maybe best team dynamic of the week best energy of the week um interpersonally between characters things like that I think Ryan North is the perfect writer for this series. Like that is dream casting his ability to make you laugh, to make you cry and his youthful energy that he has that was just so, so renowned from his legendary time with Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. I think it's just so, so, uh, so much of a match made in heaven. And I think it comes off beautifully here. Agreed. Uh, all right, we've got Shang-Chi number three. This one, uh, the pulley goes to Shang-Chi for having the coolest looking blood of the week. He's got this weird sparkly blood. Uh, again, uh, you know, if, if you are excited about the upcoming Marvel Studios Shang-Chi movie, definitely check out this series. And if you were waiting for the famed pulley for best bug person of the week, it's coming up. In Star Wars, <laughs> Dr. Afra number six, uh, there is so many like this. I think book is so rich in like introducing these kind of new characters just in a page or two, getting to know them and, and instantly feeling familiar. Um, the creative team is incredible at doing that. And boom, from page one here, we got a pilot bug creature alien that is just so Star Wars and so perfect. Uh, with that in mind, Tucker, are you watching The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? I am saving it. I have watched the first season, Dang but it. not. Wait, are you talking? Are you going to talk about this much talked about lizard love story that people are going nuts for? Frog person? No, 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 no. There's a character who shows up in the second. I think it's the second or the third episode okay. of the season that I need to talk to you about. I will just say the character has the has a the title of Doctor in its name, and it's my new favorite Star Wars character, even better than this one. Wow, 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 wow. I love Carrick, but okay. wow. Anyway, I'll uh, let you we know. got one more book to give out a pulley to. It's Werewolf by Night number two. This one, I got a couple of them. We're going to go for best use of System of a Down in this issue. <laughs> I freaking love System of a Down so much. Uh, it, it evokes very specific memories for me. And when the main character puts on System of a Down to like get hyped and get into a fight mode, I was like, yeah, I get it, brah. And then this also gets my uh, pulley for best wrestling references of the week. We get references about Ultimate Warrior. We get references about Rowdy Roddy Piper, which is also uh, a reference to They Live, which is a John Carpenter movie. I love this book. It's really, really good. Um, uh, you know, it's written by Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas and BRL, and it's it's killing it. It's really good. Yeah, totally agreed. Whew. All right. We did it. We have handed out all of our pulleys freshly buffed, and now they are in the <laughs> hands it. of some incredible books and incredible creators. Uh, now moving on to print collections this week. Some really great stuff on offer uh, as you head down to your local comic shop. Uh, one that I want to highlight in particular is Star Wars Darth Vader by Greg Pak, Volume 1, Dark Heart of the Sith. If you love Star Wars, if you love Darth Vader, if you love great stories, period, I cannot recommend this book enough. Greg Pak is crushing it. Uh, really one of the best Darth Vader stories I've ever read. 
Yeah. Uh, on Marvel Unlimited this week, tons of great books in there. Uh, one I definitely got to highlight is Maestro. Number one, we talked about an issue of Maestro this week. Man, that book rules. It's so good. That first issue uh, has got a really gross old MODOK, so it's it's definitely a highlight for me. <laughs> uh, of course, all the Marvel Unlimited books, all the print collections, all the comics we've talked about, you can find more info about all of them on Marvel.com. Make sure you stay up to date on all that good stuff. Tucker, I think it's about time to get to our reading club. We have an amazing amazing guest coming up. Uh, we have Vita Ayala. Uh, Vita is writing New Mutants and Children of the Atom, uh, Marauders. Uh, Vita is fully engulfed in the world of the X-Men right now, but Vita chose Punisher Warzone from 2012 as uh, their reading club pick of the week. And boy, oh boy, this ruled so hard. Vita Ayala. One of our faves. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, Always the pleasure. pleasure's ours. One of our rare repeat guests, so uh, we, we appreciate you. I was going to say, I don't know how often y'all have uh, <laughs> people on again. Uh, I don't know if you'll ever have me on again after making me read some Punisher, but I don't know. We'll see. Oh, <laughs> uh, my first thing in, in my notes for this episode were uh, expletive. I forgot how good this run is. Expletive. So good. It was hard not to be like, just read the whole run. Yeah, yeah. 21 issues. I was like, no, that's not reasonable. Five issues. <laughs> like. uh, yeah. So as you mentioned, we are reading Punisher Warzone from 2012 into 2013, um, which is written by Greg Rucka. Art by Carmon D. Gian Domenico. Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, man, I really miss Rucka and Carmine in the Marvel Universe. They were an unstoppable team. Uh, actually, everyone on the book, like yeah. everything about it is so clean, so smooth, just perfect. Uh, this is going to be controversial, probably. I'm going to get Bring roasted. It. I'm not on the internet anymore, so like whatever. <laughs> I usually just am not a huge Punisher fan. Like, I think the character is really mm. interesting, and I I like having conversations about the character. But in practice, sometimes I think it gets away from people a little bit, and so I tend to shy away from it. But I remember I was working at a comic shop when this came out, and I was like well i'll read anything rucka does i guess and then i was like oh this is so good this is so good yeah that was actually you know it's funny you mentioned that because that ties directly into two of the things that i've been thinking about since we knew that we were going to cover this book which is one i know you used to work at forbidden planet right alongside mr mm -hmm. matthew rosenberg one of my best uh, among others, <laughs> which blew my mind when he told me that. It's so cool for Ruben Planet, a great classic comic shop here in New York City. Um, uh, and then two, I just immediately was wondering why this series? Um, you know, there was a couple of series that I had in mind that I was thinking of suggesting for this. But I think that this one is like strangely still very relevant. I think also it's a huge like ensemble book. Like it, you, you read Punisher Warzone and you think it's just going to be the Punisher warring in his own but that's not true uh, <laughs> uh you know it's an avengers book too um and i'm a big fan of all, almost all of the avengers that they put up against the punisher in this book um and i think everyone gets a really good moment in this book and what it does for me is it kind of makes them wrestle with the idea of just what they are doing as heroes like what is our job if not to protect people from people that murder people right mm -hmm. um and spider-man makes a real like just it starts it right off where he's just like i'm tired of this guy rolling around shooting people um they you know they're working with misinformation about what's going on so that's fair too but like punisher is someone that kills people he kills people all the time and spider-man makes a good point he's like literally what why are you avengers like, oh, this isn't important enough. He only killed, you know, a dozen people this time, not like the universe. Oh, OK, cool. Um, and I think that, you know, Cap gets to step up in a way where I'm like, that's my Captain America right there. Where he's like, no, that's absolutely right there. It, what's the point of doing any of this if we've decided that, you know, individuals don't matter, then we are no better. And then we get to see Natasha just just being the best, <laughs> just being the absolute best. I think everyone shines in this book. So there's great Wolverine moments where like not all the Avengers agree about what, what they're doing and how they're doing it. And Wolverine's moments, you're like, yeah, that seems right. That seems you've convinced me. Right. <laughs> and then you're like, wait, no, Spider-Man's right. Spider-Man's convinced me. Dang it. All right. <laughs> like, 
But I, I love that you talk about Wolverine because there's a bit in the first issue where they're all like discussing whether they should do this. Tony's being a, a D-bag as he is. And Wolverine <laughs> says do. to Cap, uh, the quote, difference between you and me, maybe you believe in the best, Captain. Me, I believe some people deserve to die. And like I, you get these philosophical points of view that like you're saying, Vita, they they're right. They're wrong. They're right. They're right. Oh, everybody's right. It's so I don't hard. think there's a right answer. I don't think there's a right answer here. And I think that's what really makes this shine for me is that everyone's position is understandable, except for Tony. (laughs) 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 You're like, bro, (laughs) come on. Like, that's not fair. He gets with it at the end. But I mean, there's there's an interesting conversation between Natasha and a cop later on in the second, I think it's the second issue, where they have that conversation much more plainly. And it's so interesting because Natasha has killed many people. Natasha continues to kill people. She's not a person that doesn't kill people. But at the end of the day, she what she has learned is that you can't just kill people indiscriminately and you have to be answerable to something. And that's the thing that separates her and, and Frank. And, and Frank and Logan too, Frank and Wolverine were like, Wolverine has, you know, they both have their own codes, but I think that like Wolverine is uh, slightly more inclined to to be able to be talked down by someone like Professor Xavier, for example. You know what I mean? Where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not just his own code that governs everything that he does. It's very important, but like there are other people that go, no, there's something bigger than you. And he'll go, all right, cool. Whereas Frank is like, there's only the war. <laughs> That's it. And I think Logan will will like, pull back the claws. He will stop someone without using the claws, you know, without needing someone to to pull him back from that edge at times, whereas Frank is always going to pull the gun. And I feel like, you know, this is the most reasonable that we see Frank Castle, I think, for in, in either direction, like for a long time, because there was a long time where like, the whole point was like, this is the dark side of Marvel, right? This is, we're going to show you what happens when you really don't care about collateral damage. But here you see, you know, he's having these conversations with them too. He talks to Thor, he talks to Natasha, he talks to Spider-Man, he talks to all these people. And like, what you come to realize is that he understands that what he's doing is wrong. And sometimes you kind of get the feeling that he wants them to stop him, but he will not make that easy for them. Like, he's not gonna give up. But like, if you can stop me, then, then you're right that kind of feeling. Mm. Um, and I will say, jumping ahead to the end, uh, I think what they do with him is wrong. <laughs> but that's a whole, that's actually another reason why I wanted to re- reread it. Because I was like, well, the answer to all of this is not forever incarceration either. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not rehabilitating anything. They're not helping him. They just put him in a hole. Literally. Like, right? He's at the bottom of the sea or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and he gets the hero moment where he saves the person that was wrongfully convicted of crimes and going to be put to death. So it's like, ooh, the Avengers didn't get the hero moment here. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'll let you jump in, Tucker, but I do want to give a little bit more of the premise to this run because this is, as you mentioned, Vita, the finale to Greg Rucka's Punisher series. Um, you have Sergeant Rachel Cole Alves, who is a Marine who'd worked alongside the Punisher. Um, she'd sort of donned the skull a bit. She looked at Frank as her like commanding officer and they were they were on this mission together. She got it. And at the end of the previous run, they had been in the middle of a firefight and they were going after this just nightmare scumbag and they kind of got him, but there's smoke and there's all this chaos going on. And she she killed somebody thinking it was the bad guy and she pulls off the dude's mask and it's a cop. And it's just such a beautiful drama. She is then, you know, like she's she's captured. She's on trial in this series for killing three cops being sort of connected to the Punisher in this murder. So we're seeing this big manhunt for Frank um, because she's already captured. She's going on trial. They're they're looking at like, we got to get the Punisher finally. Cops are dead. And then, you know, everything unspools from there. So the Avengers join in, as you mentioned. So like the premise gets to be Punisher versus the Avengers, which is just terrific. And and another thing they do uh, really well too, what a wonderful use of Matt Murdock <laughs> as 
the defense attorney for Punisher by proxy. And I, yeah. and I love that like a lot of that stuff is in that, but you have a lot of those questions too, where it's like, yes, people are dead and there has to be justice, but they're not looking for justice. They're looking for vengeance and they're trying to punish someone for the actions of someone else. And they're getting away with it, right? Like the law is getting away with doing that. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of really uh, interesting questions that I think are still pretty relevant to them. Um, you talked at the top of the episode about your history with the character of Frank Castle, and I just really am so fascinated to dive into the complexities and the the, the difficulties that sometimes people have with the character. Um, could you talk about where you started with the character, what your perspective was on Frank Castle, and then how maybe that shifted with this book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, when I first like was aware of the Punisher, I think it was probably from that like Spider-Man episode of the like nineties. <laughs> with the trench coat. Yeah, with the trench coat. So I was just like, <laughs> oh, he kills people. You know, I was, and I read like some Punisher stuff as a teenager, and I was an edge lord teenager, so I was like, yeah, yeah, he really gets it. He kills the scumbags, and then. I grew up a little bit and I understood that there is nuance in life. It it had nothing to do with comics, but I had started to think about the idea that people who are doing things that are not necessarily within the law or or even bad things, right? Those are not the same. (laughs) Things that are against the law and bad things are not necessarily the same. But the Mm -hmm. people that engage in those activities, they have whole lives that we have no context for. And they could be doing these things for reasons that in their lives are very good reasons. And here is this man who just murders people indiscriminately. He is judge, jury, executioner right on the spot. And uh, I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's gnarly as heck. <laughs> that's, you know, what purpose does that serve, yeah. right? You're mm-hmm. causing more harm than you are saving people. But I thought it was interesting, um, right? Because he has reasons that he does those things. And as I grew older, I was like, well, I don't like what he does, but I find it very fascinating that he is treated like a hero in his own books. And he is treated as a kind of a menace, but like a low level menace in other people's books, right? He's just kind of a boogeyman that pops in and out. Um, But no one is treating him like a person. Hmm. No one's going, this man needs help. (laughs) This man needs some serious help. He's killing people because he is wildly wounded and no one seems to care about that, right? Mm. Um, but by the time this book came out, I was kind of like, all right, but he's killing people. So just, <laughs> I don't I don't like him. Like, I, I'm done. I'm done yeah. with this man. Like, just, just end him. I can't. A killing someone on occasion is not something in a comic book that I care about. I'm like, yeah, that happens, right? Like, um, but then this came out and I was like, there is a, there's a lot of conversation to be had about how everyone is maybe not examining why the they do the things they do mm. and, and how they interact with the rest of like, the Marvel universe in this case, but like being a hero, being a superhero. Um, and that made me like him. <laughs> <laughs> that made me go back. I was like, still, still don't agree with murdering everyone. <laughs> but also uh, what I found interesting is that a, a lot of the situations in this book where he's killing people, it's not actually completely indiscriminately. I think sometimes they just have him walk into a situation like there's a there's a situation where there's like a bunch of people cutting up I assume it's heroin like they're, they're making little packets of heroin there's a bunch of people in their underwear with like caps on like blah 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 um and you know maybe a couple of years prior he would have just rolled into the room and sprayed everyone dead right but the only people he takes out in that scene are the people with weapons and everyone else he's like just go just get out and I was like that's being more nuanced. Rucka, well, I, you're being I super nuanced. I also love in that scene, he tells uh, it's mostly women who are cutting up the drugs or whatever. He's like, yeah. take what you can and run, you know, find some some safety, uh, which I think exactly to your point, there's nuance there. There's growth. I still think that he's a little trigger happy, right? But I think that there's a lot more to talk about there. You know, he leads Natasha to this place where she liberates over 100 child soldiers, right? I'm not so sure that he, you know, that character wouldn't have been made to kill all of those kids Mm -hmm. at some point because they have guns and they're, you know, they're brainwashed into doing things. So he might, but in this series, he doesn't. He's like, there is a circumstance that has led them to do this, help them. And, And I love that he sets it up so that almost every situation, there is that choice of like, you can either get me or be a hero. I love that. I was like, this, this is it. 
I think we've had a lot of really good Punisher stuff coming out of this. Um, I like I, I love Rosenberg's Punisher run. I think that he uses it to examine a lot of these things um, and to talk about how the Punisher is viewed in a metatextual way, which mm-hmm. is really important, and how he is a symbol in the real world and what that means and how that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Love love the work he's done there. Oh yeah. Also, Matt, besides being one of my best friends, I think that is one of my favorite writers. Yes. Yeah. And I really liked, I didn't watch the Punisher show, but I watched the Daredevil show. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the season with Punisher in it. And I really found a lot of the things that they did with him, they're really interesting. Again, this is a personal thing. I'm just really not into a bunch of collateral damage. I just don't like it mm-hmm. <laughs> as a person and as a, you know, like as a person who writes as well. I'm like, it's much more interesting to figure out how to make death and suffering meaningful if you have to have it. But I, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about this because I think that this team presented the idea of the Punisher and what it plays out like in a really nuanced and, and really impactful way. And and to jump ahead a little bit um, to the end, when he stops, I was like, that that to me is one of the most powerful moments mm-hmm. in any Punisher thing mm-hmm. where Captain America's like, mission accomplished, stand down. And he's just like, sir, yes, sir. And I was like... Ugh. Oh, see, I'm tearing up right now. Just thinking so about good. it. <laughs> I read it and I was like, I got chills. I was like, oh man. Yeah. But that yeah. moment to me is Frank. That's what he needed to stop. I think the whole series, he's begging someone to stop him, but he still has a mission to accomplish. And now he can stop and now mm. he can rest. And that's beautiful to me. Yeah. Uh, did you grow up in New York? You grew up in, yeah. In, yeah. Born and so bred. I, so I think that's part of what, for you, maybe for Matt, for myself, having grown up in and around New York City our whole lives, there's something extra real about the locations that we've seen 85% of Punisher stories. And it's that that part of it that feels so real, like as any Marvel story could be the world outside your window, this can feel like the world outside our window. And it's terrifying. I mean, listen, the first time I saw someone die, I was six. I saw someone bleed out. That's a real thing that I, you know, I've seen multiple people just die in front of me in my life, whether through violence or through drugs. And like, you know, some of it was collateral damage. I was almost shot by accident. (laughs) I was walking down the street, minding my own business. Someone was shooting at someone that was next to me from very far away. And I felt the bullet, like the wind literally by my face. That's, you know, I could have been collateral damage, you know, and this is mostly in the past, right? Like we're trying... As an industry, and I'm talking about entertainment in general, to be much more conscious of what we do, even with secondary and tertiary characters. But for a long time, all of his victims were basically brown people, (laughs) right? Um, Because it's just easy to tell stories about high violence in situations where there's volatility. And that's where you set a story. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, especially in the 80s and 90s, that was places with brown people, right? So all of these people looked like me. <laughs> and as I started to move out of my teenage edge edgelordness and go, wait a second, people have whole lives. I start thinking about, well, like any of those people could have been walking down my block. Mm-hmm. And the old version of Frank Castle, he hits me because he's trying to hit the scumbag. He's, he moves on, right? But the new version, that means something. It doesn't necessarily stop him, but I like that that means something like, oh, I have, I can't do that. That's a, that's a full life that I ended. And so like, for me, wanting to talk about this was also wanting to talk about progress that we've made, not just in Marvel Comics, but I'm talking about just in general, in storytelling and entertainment where we go, no, we have to think about this stuff because people have real lives. And if what we're presenting to them is just them dying over and over again, then that does something to you. <laughs> yeah. That does something to whole populations of people. And I found it interesting, too, that like, and again, 10 years before this series, this wouldn't have been the case, but like the bad guys with the guns were white people. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the people being saved were the people that wouldn't have been thought of as important. Right. You had all of these child soldiers. You had these women who were caught up in this like drug ring. And we all now can imagine how there's a million ways how that could happen. Like they're not just bodies in this series. They're people. And I love that. And I love that the Punisher of all people and Spider-Man, the two of them together, are making the Avengers reckon with that. Where it's like, you're allowing all this stuff to happen. It's a condemnation in its own way. It's also a, simply from a 
writer's perspective, I think it's notable to hear you talk about these things, Vita, because when you were talking about reading early Punisher comics, coming up and reading these things, having that realization about what's going on in these books, how that relates to you and your life, it instantly reminded me of something that James Baldwin wrote about, which is him growing up and watching uh, Westerns and realizing Mm -hmm. that he was the Native American. He was the cartoon enemy. He was the villain. He wasn't the protagonist. And him coming to that realization had a profound effect on him. It all makes me wonder, would you ever write a Punisher comic? Is that something that's interesting to you? Is that a character that you think could provide a pathway for you for things you that you're interested in writing about? Is that something you've ever thought about? I, I think if I was going to write a Punisher story, it wouldn't be about the Punisher. It'd be about the people that are affected by the Punisher. Hmm. And it would be about him kind of having to really reckon with it on an individual level because I think he too sees things at like kind of like a numbers level um, because he doesn't have to stick around and see what happens afterwards. Um, I don't know if I'm the right person to write The Punisher. I think that I really enjoy it when it's done well, clearly. (laughs) I've read the series a couple of times. I've read uh, quite a few of them a couple of times. Um, The Frank Castle that I've come to love is still a person and is still a reasonable person. He's just damaged. And I think that my story is about him beginning to get the help that he needs. <laughs> and I don't think anyone wants that out of a Punisher story. And I'm okay with that. Like, I think that there is room for stories that, you know, of, of all kinds. And so I, I don't know if I'm the right person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think some of that discussion happens in the third issue, which we'll get to in a second. But in the second yeah. one, um, you know, we get to see some of the stuff you talked about with Natasha tracking Frank. Um, She's what I was thinking, I love her so much. <laughs> so good. And the way they, they the dialogue here made it feel like this was the first series to more specifically connect them together. I also love in this issue and throughout the series getting the, we, we've got the path for the Avengers and Punisher stuff, but you also have Rachel Cole Alves and, and yes. her story, her guilt, her sadness, her resolve about everything that's going on. She's such a well-drawn character in, in like all the points that she's like focused on. Um, man, I, like, I remember now why she's such a rad character, and I would love to see she's more. She's so of great. So great. Same, honestly. <laughs> like, if I was, was going to write a, a story with Punisher stuff, you know, she'd be, she'd be the one. I feel like Rucka's really good at doing a lot with a little bit of space. <laughs> yeah. Like, a lot of the sequential stuff is just the hijinks with the Punisher, but, like, any moment that we have with her is is so meaningful and it's so tight um and all of the newspaper stuff in the beginning i i love that kind of stuff um i think i'm biased having you know data pages in my books now i'm like yes give me things with lots of text (laughs) but but i really love i love it because it it gives you it gives you her but none of it is her words it is people writing about her almost as if she doesn't exist so that when you see her it, it, it's a perfect mirror of what happens with Frank all the time. Mm-hmm. We have the perception of him and then we have the man and he's just like, I let my actions speak for themselves. But that's not really how it works, is it? <laughs> that's not how it works at all. <laughs> no. And the same with her. She's like, she didn't, she, for example, she doesn't go on the stand, uh, you know, to defend herself, right? She refuses to be called for the defense. She's going to let the actions stand. But like, no, there's no context then, Right. We, you know, we as readers have already read what happened, so we get it. But like the court's just like, cool, you're a bloodthirsty, ruthless murderer and we're going to kill you. We're going for the death penalty. Um, And then Matt Murdock, of all people, right? (laughs) Daredevil (laughs) is like, this is this is a travesty. We can't let this happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I feel like doing that also allows Rucka to then not have Frank make those points Mm -hmm. as well. yeah, I think it's just a really tight series. <laughs> it is, <laughs> really it's is. really good. In a way, it actually reminds me of modern day, like the stuff that we're covering on the show or whatever, of Jonathan Hickman in a way, of how well he clearly knows these characters and is yes. able just to instantly be so incisive and present like their very clear perspective on something you know whether it's that conversation he has with thor um, right, I love that which is so good and you're like so yeah thor's seen some stuff like he <laughs> would be able to relate to the 
to Frank Castle in a way. And that's just not something I ever thought about before. This cosmic character and, you know, the most ground level character that we have um, having a lot in common in that way and having empathy and sympathy for each other. It's really, really I love cool. It. I feel like that conversation was a turn for Frank in there. And I love that Greg doesn't have to say it. But no. like when a god that is a war god comes down and is like, chillax, like too, <laughs> too much. Then you have to start, you really have to start thinking about your life. It's like, maybe I retire. This is yeah. his retirement plan. <laughs> it really got me thinking about how Frank Castle kind of embodies the power struggle of New York City in a weird way. The violence, the humanity of a, a city like this. And it's one of those things that feels so challenging and, and right. And I don't know if it's just because it's in the right hands that it that it works that way. I think I think for me, before before the Rucka series, I think that there were people that did write him well before that. That's not what I'm trying to get at, right? Um, but mm-hmm. I think for me before, what he actually kind of represented to me was the the wish that people had to just take the law into their own hands and do what they think is right. Everyone else be damned, right? And I think that that expresses particularly powerfully in a city because, you know, for a very long time, when you when cities are portrayed, think about how they're portrayed. They're dirty, they're grimy, there's crime, there's this. Look at all these poor people, blah, 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 as if that's a bad thing, right? As if poor people are a bad thing, as if all poor people look a certain way and do certain things. Um, and it's like, there was a very big, when he was invented, certainly, and then for a very long time after, there was this feeling of, we got to clean it up, just clean it all up. And it's like, I think that what happens in the series is you go, well, what does that mean to clean it up? Like, what, what happens to people like me? What, where, where do I go? If you're cleaning it up, you have to make clear what your mission statement is, right? And I think that for Frank in this series too, like, I don't, like, I think that he kind of is coming to a place where he's like, I don't even know what my mission is anymore. But he's like, <laughs> I am the war. Like, this is like what I do. Like, but, but he's just like, but how does that play out? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? And I think that that's what he's doing for the Avengers too, right? Where it's like, you say you save people. But which people? Who matters? I love the moment in in two. I think it's in two, where Nat's like, "I'm not comfortable leaving these people until I'm sure that they're stable." Like, I'm not like he'll be gone by the time I can get to him because I'm not going to abandon these people. Well, ten years before that, would that even be a question, right? So I think that like, in this book, we pivot from Frank being a wish fulfillment of people who think they know how to solve the problems of the world <laughs> into there, there are so many moving pieces and everything is so interconnected. There is no one answer. The, the one answer is that you have to do your best and mitigate as much damage as you can. But I also think that there's a lot of room in here for the moral gray area too, because he, he, end game, he gets this woman out of jail. She did kill that man. She did kill people. <laughs> like they, they straight up just rolled through and like shot bullets into people. And he's like, but you get to go free, right? That's a morally gray thing. Logan's down with it. I think that there was a huge, you know, instance of misjustice in how her trial was like, they were going to kill her, right? For his crimes. That's disgusting. It's symbolic um, in a lot of ways. So like, it's super, like, it's ambiguous. You're just like, ah, like, so I think that there's a lot of room for all that stuff that's in between there. And I think that this series is about how there is no like clear 100% right and wrong, black and white. There's lots of gray stuff and we have to move through the world as if that's true and as if everyone is involved in that, um, which I really like. Yeah. The third issue is is the Thor stuff and it's, it's so good. There's so many great moments in there. Um, I just love- I love Thor. <laughs> and I want to make sure we also shout out Carmine um, because- like, Yes, so Carmine's good. acting is so good. There's a panel where Frank has shot Thor with a rocket launcher and blown up a tank and <laughs> Thor just gets up and there's a panel of Thor's face and he just says, I am no man's yeah, he's just fate. Like, and it's just like, yeah. every like time he goes, coming like, off of him. <laughs> oh, and it, like when Natasha's thinking about something, she's like got this look on her face and everything that Carmine does in this book is so well, well acted and well told. And it's just such a beautiful um, combination of, of creative talents in here. Um, the fourth issue, Absolutely. you know, we, we see everybody setting their plans in motion. You know, the Avengers are going this way and Punisher is going this way. It's like this game of chess. It's just like it. In one, in some ways, it feels like nothing major is happening, but everything major is happening in this issue. It's a really fascinating, um, you know, 
bunch of storytelling beats and on top of it tony still doesn't get it and it's like hammering home yeah. he's just such a like a ding dong about all this stuff um i think that it's so good though like tony not getting it is right where you're just like why would you you were complaining in the first issue that you didn't get to i can't remember the band in my mind it's beyonce but that's not right it was springsteen uh, he, he, he had a private concert with bruce springsteen in russia yeah. So he's like, ugh, like whatever, like people died. I get it. And like when you have that level of resources until it comes for you, until until he comes for you, why would you care? Like yeah. and it doesn't make Tony a, a evil person. It's just like it just doesn't enter his sphere of like understanding and caring. And then he gets shot in the face. And he's like, all right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah in that fifth issue is like that's the big showdown there's so many amazing moments in there one of them i was like wait what amusement park are they and i initially i like i skimmed through oh, it yeah, so quickly wasn't it like ride playland it's or ride playland <laughs> and like, so like 40 minutes north of the city i was like man i don't remember a ride <laughs> looking this broke down but i've it was been rough. there since i was a kid I mean, to be let's let's give it to the six one six though. Like it's yes. a different, slightly yes, different yes. New York. <laughs> very very well said. Um, I I love that there's so many great moments in in this issue of just like seeing that battle play out, and you know what the outcome is going to be. There's no real question. It's just how right. and the why, and getting to that Captain America moment. Aside from that amazing Cap moment, which the two of you have already talked about, what are some of your favorites in in this issue? Um, I really like. I like that it did feel like a game of chess, right? Because there's no way that he could beat a literal god, a super soldier who is a bajillion years old and is a genius tactician, right? Like Cap is a genius tactician. He's actually been this whole time moving pieces around to get to this moment, right? Uh, Spider-Man, God bless him. <laughs> Boy from Queens doing his best. Yep. <laughs> super strong, super agile, all his tech, blah, blah, blah. And then like, Natasha, there's no way. And yet he still wins. <laughs> and I love that. He was playing three-dimensional chess while they were playing regular two-dimensional chess. <laughs> <laughs> it was freaking great. Um, I love uh, I love his his stealing the suit and then like everyone being like, no, Tony, don't. And then just like, just like of course he did. And of yeah. course, Tony had no idea that that was coming. <laughs> just like... Because he underestimates him. Everybody underestimates Frank. And that's such a, I think that is one of, you know, you see in this issue, Frank pulling out so many of his weapons. He uses the Avengers as his weapons. He has all his skills as weapons. But like the art of being underestimated is one of his greatest weapons against oh, yeah. people like this. Absolutely. I think that like, for me, <laughs> this is what I find fascinating about characters like Punisher. They are human beings and their powers are mostly just their intellect, their training, and then like some objects that they have in their vicinity, right? Where it's like, they they have to compensate for the fact that they can't do, like he's not even capable on a Captain America level. Captain America is super enhanced, right? So like he has to deal with knowing all of that. And because no one, like, when was the last time that like, Tony Stark had to think about like how to beat himself, right? He's like, I'm unstoppable, great. There's a moment in four or five, I forget which one, where he's just like, he exploited the one weakness, well, like, which I will be fixing the global one. It's like, <laughs> but it was, it was so wide open that the Punisher on the run was able to do that because he thinks he's invincible. But it's like um, when you have, you know, dealt with really stressful things all your life. So like you always look for all the exits in a room and then other people don't even think to do that. Right. Yeah. And so when something goes down, you're like, I'm out, <laughs> like I'm already out. And everyone else is like, what do I do? Like you just like, I find that so fascinating about characters like Frank. The writing here is so intelligent. And, and, and like you said, it, it feels so real. Do you have a perspective of what you as a writer have access to what is interesting to you, what is a Vita story? Do you have those kind of self-reflections and, and reflections on reflections and those kind of things about what makes you the writer you are? 
I mean, I try and think about my experiences and about what I have to offer in general um, as a writer all the time, just because, you know, I'm someone I have to go out and find work and I have to be like, well, this is what I have to offer. Um, but I think when I go into writing situations, when I'm writing a certain story, I think about things on three levels. I think about like the plot stuff, like all that, you know, all the stuff you're supposed to think about. Right. <laughs> then I think about information. Who knows what? And how are people going to learn it in the story versus how a reader is going to learn it, right? Um, and then I start to think about my own experiences just in like real life and how that would translate. Sorry, I have cats running all over the place. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how that translates to each character. So like uh, I have had a uterus my whole life. I've been black and brown my whole life and I've been queer my whole life. I know that there are certain times a day in certain neighborhoods that it is not safe for me to be. I know what to look out for now. Right. Like there are some people like that, that you could just walk down the street at 3 a.m. and you don't have to worry about that. I am aware of how many people there are on the block. I am aware of X, Y and Z. Right. So if I'm writing a scene between Frank and Tony, I know that Frank knows things that Tony doesn't know just because of that. There's a great scene in the Daredevil show uh, um, where Frank and Karen are talking in the in the diner. And he like he just keeps gl glancing out the window when the lights like from a car goes by and like could be nothing right but it ends up being something really important and it's not something that she notices at all and i'm like yes that that's what i think about all the time mm -hmm. i think about how much of my experiences a certain like a character will have in a situation and then i try uh, and this is where all my homework comes into play right i try and think from the other perspective what are things that tony knows that frank couldn't even possibly begin to know right mm -hmm. like frank's an intelligent guy but he hasn't had the same experiences that tony has he's not the same tech guy that tony is Tony's much smarter than I am, so uh, <laughs> it's a little more difficult. I have to fudge it a lot more. Um, but what I think about those kinds of things, and I try to Im imbue that into my writing as much as possible. Um, situational awareness is just one of those things, but also like emotional awareness, you know, interpersonal awareness. Um, someone that has trouble connecting with people might not pick up on certain nuances, um, or mm. my, things might not even occur to them. So I just think about that kind of stuff. Um, and I try to bring to bear as much of my own experience as I possibly can. Um, I try never to force that into the story. I try much more to look at the situations and then see how my, my toolbox is useful there, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And then, and then it, like you said, with the Punisher thing, is it a natural consequence that you just feel like maybe maybe this is a story that's more apt for me to tell? Is that something that you encounter more? Is are there characters? I've definitely that you turned feel... stuff down where I've been like, I don't think I'm the right person to tell this right. story because I can come up with a story for anything, right? Like ever since I was a little kid, all I did all the time was just come up with stories. I love doing that. I, I literally come up with like seven new ideas before I have coffee in the morning. Um, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the best version of a story for a character. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, with writing for other people's characters, not creator-owned stuff, but like for Marvel or for you know other other companies, whenever I'm offered a character or I'm told to pitch on a character in a bake-off or something, I go, I have to tell a story that can only be told through this character or through this group of characters. It can't be just another story I want to tell that I graft onto here because then there's no point in telling it here. And so if I don't have a story that I'm like, this is going to further a character or give a more nuanced understanding of a character while doing plot stuff or whatever, then someone else who really feels strongly about this should do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think that I want the best possible version of any story for any character. And if that means that it's not me, then I'm totally fine with that because I'm also an avid reader. So I'm just super happy to read it. <laughs> well, thankfully for us as readers, there are a ton of characters and stories that it feels like you are <laughs> perfect for. So that's good news. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, uh, we, ha we have more opportunities to uh, get your perspective and your voice. We've got Children of the Atom coming up. we got Marauders uh, and much more. Hopefully, we'll make you one of the few, if only, triple threats to to come on to Marvel's pull list at a later date. <laughs> talk about some, some maybe one of your works. Uh, we'll get through some stuff from one of these books and, and talk about that then. I hope that y'all dig it. Um, what a rod... And I are cooking up in New Mutants is so fun. Um, I get pages back and I literally just start cackling. There's one I, 
I've wanted to tease it on social media so bad because it literally made me so, laugh so hard and my back hurt. Like, <laughs> like this is so good, Rod's so amazing. And then uh, working on Children of the Atom has been such a dream. I love all those characters, my sweet babies. <laughs> so, I put them through a lot of pain, <laughs> all the characters. That's, that's your job, that's what right? You do. As a creative, yeah. is make them yeah. sad. <laughs> I love it. Vita, thanks for coming on the show again and we'll talk to you real soon. Thank you for having me. You're the best, Vita. Thank you. Y'all are awesome. Thank you. Vita Ayala, one of the all-time great guests, such an incredible writer, such an incredible person to talk to, and has the uncanny ability to take my bad questions and turn them into incredible answers, which I really appreciate. Punisher War Zone from 2012. You can go read that yourself and find out all the majesty of that incredible series on Marvel Unlimited today. Yeah, and, and of course, if you are uh, checking out Marvel Unlimited, if you have a subscription, uh, there's some great books added this week, some Empire books, but I want to make sure you definitely check out the first issue of Maestro, the, the series that we talked about a little earlier in the show. Man, it is fantastic, and now uh, because new books hit Marvel Unlimited three months after they are released, we got the first issue on the service right now. So enjoy that, enjoy all the Marvel comics, and we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm very excited for us to now be on Sirius I think uh, this is where Tucker's going to, you know, find his way onto Howard Stern show very, very soon. And <laughs> and all bets are off at that point. Yeah, that's that's the long game here. That's what's happening. <laughs> this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel and Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio and Brad Barton is Pull List audio development manager. He is also uh, trying to get onto Krakoa because he really loves all the books that Vita and the X team are doing. But um, he's not a mutant. Or is he? I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel. Your universe.